Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of the American Years podcast. I'm Kate Simpson, coordinator of the American Years project. Our project is creating space for and recording the many stories and memories of all the people whose lives are intrinsically linked to the American Navy's presence in the Holy Lock by Danoon on the west coast of Scotland. In this episode, we talk to Bob Reed. Born in Danoon in 1946, he left in 1965 to go to university and came back three years ago for retirement. Bob talks about the Americans arriving in Cal and what it was like when he was going to school with the Americans, the protests against the nuclear presence, and what the exchange of cultures was like. My name is Bob Reed. I was born in Danoon um, in 1946 and um, grew up. I went to school and uh, completed my education here in Danoon. I left in in 1965, to go to university. I came back in retirement uh, three three years ago. Danoon had been a very successful seaside holiday resort, uh, appealing to people in Scotland and particularly in the west of Scotland. So um, growing up here, we were used to literally thousands of visitors coming uh, into the town and using the bars and hotels and dance halls and theatres that were here. Um, unfortunately, the noon declined as the Spanish resorts were able to offer better packages, better weather. Uh, so the days of sort of more Paul and the Waynes coming down kind of started to, to tail off. So we were in some economic difficulty, I would say, uh, in the late 50s. We started to get a quite advanced notice of the Americans coming at that stage, I would be only 12 or 13, so I didn't understand the politics of North Atlantic treaties and so on, but I knew that something big was going to happen and that our small town was going to be the centre of this uh, giant base and these nuclear submarines being serviced from the Holy Loch and then patrolling all over the Atlantic and, and elsewhere. The Americans seem to be very good at uh, communicating very good at uh, PR, uh, and I remember I'd probably too young to go to meetings, and my parents would go to briefing briefings hosted by uh, the American Navy to talk about what was happening and try to reassure fears because people were very frightened that we would all going to die from nuclear fallout or we would be bombed, and uh, that we you know we'd all sort of come to terrible terrible end. So. Um, the Americans attempted to reassure local people and got engaged with the province and the local council. They invested in all kinds of um, community events, uh, choirs. They joined the choral clubs and the theatre clubs and became integrated very, very quickly and obviously brought a lot of money into the noon. Um, so... The economic benefits and the excitement, to some extent, of having foreigners in, in our small village kind of made up for the fact that we, we were, uh, some people were really hostile and very frightened about the military implications of it all. The province at the time was a British uh, telecoms engineer called the Gordon uh, Trap. Of course, the Americans identified him quite, quite quickly as one of the leaders in the town. And so the Gordon was heavily involved. He was on the ships as they came. Uh, he was hosted at dinners and re returned the compliment with bum suppers and so on to commanders and 
uh, senior staff at, at the base. So, as I say, their, their PR was uh, faultless. I think from memory, uh, uh, we were simply literally just bumped into uh, uh, enlisted men uh, in the parks and in the town wandering about and they stopped to talk to us. They wanted to know how we lived and where we lived and what we thought without going into, they're obviously told not to go into politics, but just to get some reaction of how do you feel about it. So um, that was my first, very informal, just bumping into people at, uh, at uh, I think it was at Bishop's Glen, the waterworks behind and there, there was a, a group of uh, young sailors wandering about and, and I was 14 or 15 and um, just started talking to them. They were normally in their uniform, um, so they all looked very smart and uh, very, very handsome and uh, very friendly people. And um, Whether they've been told to be friendly or not, I don't know, but they seemed to be very keen to stop and talk to people. And, and that seemed to be the norm, that they wouldn't walk past people, they would stop, even just to say hello. So um, that was my first experience of them. And then later they... Uh, the the children of, uh, I think initially it was officers' children, were allowed to come if they were based here for more than like two years or so. So our Dunoon Grammar School started to see an intake of American students, and and that was uh, that was quite a culture shock. I would have been what would have probably been in second year at the grammar school, and. Um, so I can't remember how, I think probably about initially a, about 40 or 50 teenagers, American teenagers, uh, same age as me or, or younger, were moved into the school. So the Americans didn't have a separate education uh, resource for for uh, naval families. They, they, they integrated with the local schools. In the first couple of years, it was still at Hillfoot Street in the old school. And then when the new school opened, we, we moved up there, but most of it was in Hillfoot Street, which is now the, now the primary school. Americans in the classroom kind of changed life for, 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 uh, for the local uh, students. Because we, we had been brought up to, you know, not to ask any questions, uh, not to be awkward, to be um, attentive, quiet. Uh, and Americans were just completely the opposite of that. And, I remember being in a maths class, um, and the, uh, Angus, the teacher, was at the board as usual, scribing away up with his huge equations and stuff that were completely meaningless to us. And uh, he was doing it, something he's been doing probably for 20 years. And I remember one of the Americans stopping them and asking them to explain. And you could have heard a pin, a pin drop, and Angus turned around and. He didn't really know quite how to deal with somebody actually asking a question. Uh, and that sounds a bit daft nowadays because, you know, that's, that's, our, that's the style, you know, most of our children experience. But in, in, the, in the 50s and 60s, we were still in sort of didactic uh, lecture, write it down, feed it back, that's it. You know, don't make a noise. And Americans talk to each other and... Uh, 
the also thing. All the war school, the all war school uniform, the Americans, particularly the girls, started to adapt the school uniform to personalise it, and that was regarded as outrageous. The, uh, um, so they were, you know, more outgoing, um, exciting, and uh, cha- very ch- not cha- challenging, but in a you know in a in a constructive way. So that that kind of uh, affected the rest of us as well because oh it's okay to ask questions or it's okay to disagree. I think the Americans the American culture um, in the in the early sixties was kind of you know, taking the lead that we were following in Britain. This was the start of uh, teenagers. We hadn't had teenagers before. We had music for young people, which we hadn't. I mean, I used to listen to my parents' music. I didn't. We didn't have any music and. My clothes when I was 12 were just like my father's clothes, just slightly smaller. Um, so the Americans brought, they accelerated, I think, um, popular music, dancing, uh, lots of um, hops and and uh, parties, which the Americans encouraged. Um, so we got fast-tracked, if you like, perhaps into noon. Because of the um, the young people arriving, sort of already in that culture of um, Elvis and uh, uh, and uh, that new dances and, and so on uh, and and Lindy Hops and things, yeah, and, and just sort of young people having yes. boyfriend girlfriend relationships at you know thirteen yes, yeah. fourteen was quite unusual for Dunin, but not for not particularly for Americans. You know, I'm now you're. T- I'm now probably about 14 or 15, so I'm just beginning to go to these dances. And, um, yeah, I mean, the American girls were very confident, very happy to, perhaps more exuberant, more outgoing than than, 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 than other girls that I'd known all my life. So uh, it was quite exciting to go to a dance and, and have, I mean, it was all records usually um, that people would either bring or... Um, Somebody would be organised to be the DJ, and um, all very, all very innocent, really. You know, there was just a lot of handholding and uh, stolen kisses and that sort of thing. And uh, but it, it was, it was, uh, it was great. Yeah, I did have um, American girlfriends, um, but again, at the level of you know going round to their house for for tea, uh, and a lot of the families were were. Um, Quite religious uh, Americans, and so you saw, you know, people perhaps saying grace at table, and uh, their their religion had an effect on their parents and had an effect on, on their attitude to sort of who was that, who was I, and what was my interest. In you remember, Bob, um, that some of the American children had to call their father sir. Yes, that was extraordinary to me. <laughs> I think most of, uh, sorry, I and my friends, most of it was pretty lowbrow. You know, it was more Bobby V and uh, uh, t- the Peppermint Twist and and that sort of dance, dance sort of what today would be kind of bubblegum music, really. Um, but yeah, there, there may have been people who talk, took the opportunity to look at American folk music, but. I wasn't one of them at the time. I was interested later on when I went to university, but, but as a teenager, I wasn't. It was really just um, the uh, sort of music that was good to dance to. 
the louder the better. Before the first ships arrived, before the base was uh, was commissioned, um, there was massive opposition in Scotland, uh, and it, it was uh, there were demonstrations at Arden Adam, which was to be the pier that the, the Americans would use to come ashore. Um, so there were people carried away by the physically carried away by the police. Um, people that I was at school with, or like Brian Wilson, George Robertson, um, cut their teeth. Uh, as teenagers uh, on political rallies at Arnada. Um And there's old newsreels of the two of them taking advantage of uh, people sitting on the ground to uh, to lecture them. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I was, it, it was uh, completely opposed. I think um, the, part of the problem was people who didn't actually understand how dangerous this was. Um, some Many people did and were happy to explain. But I remember my father saying um, that, I, that he was all for it, I mean, for nuclear deterrent, having gone through the Second World War. Uh, so he, he thought that uh, at a sort of everyday level, that if it stopped talking, my, my brother and I having to be fighting a war, that it was better to have the, the deterrent there. And of course, that turned out to be, to be true. We haven't had conscriptions since the Second World War. Second World War. Um, so from that point of view, it worked. But I mean, the, the opposition to it was massive. And um, uh, to some extent, I think it still goes on today with the warheads at Fast Lane and so on that uh, America controls. Um, so it's, it's, but it's, uh, yeah, it was, we were unaware. I mean, again, we're only children, only young teenagers. So, but for many people, it was a, uh, 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 a very, very difficult, a very unhappy situation, which to some extent, at uh, every day level, we Americans got round by char charming us. In a nice way, I mean, <laughs> it gave me a fast insight into another culture, which I would never have. I mean, later on, I did work abroad, etc. But as a teenager, I would, I, my horizons were very narrow. And um, so America arrived. Um, with their own culture, with more diversity than we had. Um, I'd never met a black person before until Americans came. And so that was, I, I, you know, I, 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 looking back, I appreciate, appreciate that. And I particularly I talked about this culture at school. I think it, it, it gave me a prompt that you can actually interact with your education. You can interact with anything, really. You don't have to be, um, you know, just simply uh, being pushed and pulled around by other people. And I think the American culture of standing up and speaking out uh, was is one that I I picked up and, and still and use, you know, from 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 that day. So to me, it was um, forgetting about all the military and political uh, aspects of it. To me, it was a very uh, worthwhile experience. I've got a question I would like to ask, but I've got some things I would like to say in reference to what he said. It was when you asked about um, the the experience of of, of Americans, and um, I haven't spoken about this on any of these recordings. My experience of the the one at school, the school ones, it wasn't. I was I was um, ankle socks and really a bit young for this boyfriend girlfriend thing. 
But I struck up a friendship with a, an American um, here in Ellen, and who had an obsession with Crazy Horse and introduced me to the whole thinking about what had happened in the West. And I stopped absorbing the John Wayne stories. Although he was the son of an American sailor, he had come from the, the West and, and had an under, he was a bit older than me and he had an understanding of what had happened. And I, I think that um, the question about the politicizing and what that did to us, I think, I mean, I've spoken already about the Cuba politicizing me, but I think I've got a wider perspective because I began to understand about the, what had happened in the West. Um, through the stories about Crazy Horse, and hence my obsession about getting the little bighorn. Someday, three times I've tried, and each time I've failed because of weather. One day I'll get there. But the other thing that goes with that is that a few years further on, what, what you're saying, Bob, is the idea that we asked questions and we didn't. And you're right there, we didn't. But we watched Americans asking questions. And then a few years further on, the time I was a student, and I was watching the civil rights um, protests in America by my contemporaries. It wasn't the older ones. It was my contemporaries that were, that were um, in the forefront of that. It, it made it possible for us to, to freed my mind up to actually question um, issues here. We didn't have the civil rights problem here, but we had other problems here. And somehow having seen Americans um, in school from when I was 13 or 14, challenging Mr. McTavish and others of the ilk, um, not in a confrontational way, but just a right to speak out. It kind of has sewed into my head somewhere that tying it in with the thing about Crazy Horse, that somewhere in there, there was a suppression of knowledge and a suppression of information and, and so on going on in society. And that I wasn't too young to speak out by the time I was a wee bit older. So I think that for me was a kind of a longer term impact of watching them rather than in the moment time impact. Certainly Cuba was in the moment time impact, but the long term impact, a wee bit, because I was a wee bit slower in getting to that stage. What I would like to ask you, Rob Bob, is the fact that you're, you're very heavily connected with the jazz festival. Does your interest in jazz come out of that period? Um, uh, yeah, in a point. I mean, I, I, music's not a huge part of my life. And, and so, yeah, I remember the music at the time uh, and like everybody else, but I was probably no different from any other teenager. It was pretty low-brow stuff. Um, I did, we, did, we did hear jazz. We did hear because we had family staying in the house and so they brought their own music and played their music and so on to us and we would share it at parties but um yeah i mean it did it did open her eyes and certainly but i'm not it's not it's not something that um that that's not one of the things that, that i've retained no could i ask something bob you mentioned earlier on that your family rented out the part of the house to, to yes. american um, service personnel and their families and i think that was became quite common across the area. How did that impact on things and getting close to particular families? Did you have a number of families over the period? Or? We, I, I, my mother did it for, I think, about six or seven years. So um, we did have a, a, most of them had children. I think uh, 
it was like a two-bedroom flat. So I think to qualify, you know, I mean, they wouldn't have single men. Uh, they had their own accommodation. But families, um, yeah, I mean, we, we had, um, I think, I, I'm not sure what the, I don't think um, regular sailors were allowed to bring their families over, but but um, sort of NCOs and petty officers and stuff could could do. So, yeah, we we had, and we, because it was the one house, they were just upstairs, we were downstairs. So we did, once we got to know each other, we would share parties on Saturday nights. And uh, I remember my mother had we had a black family staying with us and they were having a shower for a new baby. And uh, there wasn't enough room in the flat. And my mother said they could use our sitting room. So I came back from school one day and there's about 30 black women and babies in the house with cakes and uh, presents. And it was like Christmas Day. And uh, my mother was in the centre of it with other neighbours, and we're having an absolute, an absolute ball. And I'd never heard it of a shower before. But this was this was a shower uh, for the new baby. So things like that, we just because we shared, you know, we shared the garden, we shared uh, coming and going. The children would be at school with us, so we would probably go to school back and forward with them as well. Um, well, we had uh, we had we had, we had great parties, and um, so yeah, it's it just uh, brought everybody much closer together. I think probably at its height, maybe a hundred or two hundred Danoon families were hosting, and in Ellen, and you know, within taxi distance of of Sandbank, uh, were 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 using um, were allowing people to to, to come in. And they also took us to the commissary. We had, we they had the Americans had their own, their own shop at Arden Adam, and it sold um, American food and beers and uh, spirits. I, we'd never seen people buying whiskey in a liter before. But <laughs> uh, I went to university. I was the, the only person who didn't have a button-down shirt. Uh, so they they allowed us to. Um, to buy clothes and sneakers and decent, nice Levi jeans and things like that. So we were spoiled. They spoiled us. They spoiled us. When Bob was talking about music, I think it was just that time when the Beatles said that they used to hear music living in Liverpool. The sailors used to bring American music back to the port of Liverpool. And so people used to be able to hear American music from records. Of course, that all increased. So the Beatles were inspired by American music, and it was just the, the, the perfect time when the American bass arrived because we get exposed to music probably um, that we wouldn't have had a chance to in those early years. Um, and then I think the Beatles and the British groups took over, and Americans loved them. So I think the American teenagers here loved being here and hearing British music. So it was a very musical thing through the 60s, an exchange of uh, musical culture. That's the way I remember it. I just wanted to add in there in relation to the music. Um, for me, the big influence was Bob Dylan, because being in mind what I've just said, the thing about the fact that the young ones were able to change, to, to go about changing the world as they saw it at the time, as we saw it at the time, the finger of destiny was definitely pointing across the Atlantic to tell the times that are changing, that the influence of Bob Dylan keyed into the influence of having grown up with Americans who 
spoke up for themselves. And that was a huge, huge thing as well. Dylan, to me, was a, a massive impact in my, my young years. I was just going to say that it's quite interesting that um, Greenock's got a really, really strong history of uh, rockabilly music. And I wonder whether that came out of the the uh, the period of the American presence. You know, if there were if there were American service personnel going over to Greenock and Gurok, there was a really strong rockabilly uh, thread of music came right through the seventies and eighties um, in in Greenock, and uh, I think the influence went across the water a wee bit as well. It's not really so much a question. You've talked all this music, 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 and nobody's mentioned Charlie Pride. How dare you? <laughs> it's sacrilege. It's yeah. sacrilege. <laughs> Scottish country and western singer. He had a pub or something, and his neighbors got an injunction against him singing. I'm not saying he's not good, but we went to a concert in Glasgow. It was a Charlie Pride concert. You know him, right? Crystal Chandelier. Yeah. And he was supporting act there. And my friend that comes in just about every day cannot stand him. So I have CDs of him. I stick it on just for his benefit. <laughs> but Bob was saying about how friendly the Americans when you meet him and stuff like that. And we find this, I don't know if everybody did, but I found it. And my sister, when the first time she was over, they walked into Danoon. She came back. She says, that's amazing. She'd walk along people she'd never seen in her life saying, saying, hello, how you doing? You know, just being friendly. The other thing when you we noticed when you went in pubs, like in America, you could be in there, it could be two of you in a bar, you could sit there all night and never say hello to each other, right? And unless it's like the past the peanuts or you mean ashtray or something. And here you can be sitting like you and your wife be sitting at a table and somebody'll come in and come over and join you, complete stranger sit and we thought that was we thought that was a real friendly, you know, because you know, Scottish people are really friendly. Thank you. You have been listening to the American Years Revisited podcast. Huge thanks to Bob Reed for those wonderful memories and for taking the time to share his experiences with us. Thank you for listening. See you next time.